This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to I'll Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 214, and I'm talking with Abze Baru. Abze recently placed second at the CIM Marathon. She ran a time of 2.30.30, which was a five-minute PR. And the crazy thing is, is she ran a one-minute PR just a couple months before at the Twin Cities Marathon. So she is having a year. Abze is Ethiopian-born, and she moved to the United States at the age of 12. We get to hear all about her story there and how she came to the United States and a little bit about her background. Once she moved to the United States, she grew up in Iowa, ran for Grandview University, and she's really humble. She acted like her uh, high school career was nothing too impressive, but then she went on to tell me she did place fourth in state, which I thought was a pretty big deal. After college, she went and ran with the Northeast Distance Group, coached by Kurt Benninger, which is Molly Huddle's husband, and she had so many wonderful things to say about them. She now lives in Phoenix, and she is working full-time as an academic advisor and also pursuing her master's degree. She has a really positive and just a really great like holistic view on running and having a really good balance for everything else in her life. And I just really enjoyed her positivity and the spirit that she brings to this conversation. All right, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Lily Trotters, my favorite compression sock of all time. You all know that. These compression socks are cute, they're stylish, they're functional, and you just can't beat them. Lily Trotters is a women-owned company. Right now they have a special holiday pricing, three pairs of Lily Trotters compression socks for just $60. And when you use the code ANOTHER, you can get 20% off your order. So I would definitely go capitalize on that, take advantage of that. They have really cute holiday-themed socks as well. So head over to lilytrotters.com and use the code ANOTHER to get 20% off your order. All right, friends, if you're enjoying the podcast, make sure to head over to iTunes or wherever you're listening and leave a rating and review. It's one of the best ways potential new listeners can find the show. And I just appreciate it so much when you do that. And if you enjoy this episode, please consider sharing it on social media to your people and let them know what you're listening to. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Abze Baru. Well, today on the podcast, we have Abze Baru on the show. Welcome to the show, Abze. Thank you for having me. Congratulations on your second place finish and your five-minute PR at CIM. Thank you. Thank you. It was a fun day. <laughs> yeah. How are you feeling? Feeling good. Feeling uh, recovered. <laughs> so, Yeah. You know, I heard you say in another interview that you went for a two-mile shakeout run after the race. Yeah, so I do these things after a marathon where I've always cooled down. Okay. And uh, it just kind of started because I usually work, like, the day after a race, and I'm like, oh, I need to be able to, like, move around. But now it's just kind of one of the things that I do that helps me recover quicker. (laughs) You know, it's – I don't know if I don't talk to enough people that – Maybe people just don't bring it up, but it's not common, is it? I don't feel like many people do that. 
No, and I really get looks when I ask if anybody wants to go on a cool down. <laughs> Racist people are like, uh, are you crazy? I'm going to the massage table if that's even a thing. <laughs> like, do you cross the finish line and, and immediately start jogging? Or what do you give me the, the rundown? Yeah, so it just depends. Like if there is like a drug testing or something like that, then I usually try to make sure I'm present and I'm there. But uh, like at Twin Cities this year, I just kept running and yeah, get it out of my legs and relax. I mean, it's very slow, but <laughs> And is it like is it like a 9-minute mile when you say it's very slow you after r- racing at 5:40 pace or whatever? It was really weird because I think it just depends if I'm listening to music or not, which I don't often do, but I did after CIM and it ended up being like 7:20, so I was like, "Oh, oh no. <laughs> I don't know. This is going to be bad tomorrow." <laughs> that is super fast. Okay, and then did you warm up before? Before the race? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How I far always do you warm, warm up? up? I'm old. I need a long warm-up. <laughs> no, my college coach used to actually make fun of my warm-up because I would warm up with the team, and then I would just keep going. Uh, my body takes, I don't know why, but it takes a little bit longer to warm up. So I always do, like, for marathons, two- to three-mile warm-up. Okay. Yeah, and then um, for shorter races, I like at least four miles. Yeah, you're, so you're doing, like, a full 30 miles on a marathon day then. Yes, I added up in it actually, which I'm usually not like, you know, super weird about that. But yeah, I was like, okay, I'm kind of curious. So it ended up being 30 miles. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's get to know you a little bit and share your story with the listeners in case they haven't been following along. Um, you're originally from Ethiopia. So tell us about growing up in Ethiopia and what brought you to the U.S. at the age of 12. Yeah. So I was born in Ethiopia and, uh, <clears throat> I was adopted at the age of 12 and I came to Des Moines, Iowa. So I'm kind of lucky in the way I get to be part of two different cultures. Uh, I was old enough to know, you know, um, things when I was there. I was 12 when I left. So I get to have that, you know, cultural background. And then here I get to, you know, experience uh, and be part of the American culture too. So (laughs) So when you lived in Ethiopia, Ethiopia, were you running there? Were you part of that culture at all? Because I know that in East Africa, running is a huge thing. Yeah, so running is huge. uh, And, uh, you know, definitely was inspiring to see all of the Olympians and all these like amazing people. Uh, when I, after the Olympics, they do a huge parade, parade for the, all the runners, and uh, you get to you know, see that as a kid. And I was like, wow, it would be really cool to be one of those people someday. But I never really, you know, I never really went behind that because um, I was a kid. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, the running there is not really organized. You know, we, we just ran around as kids in the schoolyard and played soccer and did other things just for the fun of it. It's never like really structured. Yeah. So when you came to the U.S., were you, I'm curious about the adoption process. Where were you living before you came? Uh, so I was like, uh, my adoption was a little bit different. I was with family. I wasn't like in an orphanage or anything like that. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I was adopted actually um, uh, in 2000, I want to say 2001, two, around 2000, around then when I was 12 and uh, came straight to Des Moines, Iowa. So it was a little bit of a weather change and a weather shock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my father is Ethiopian born, uh, but my mother grew up in the Midwest and she's from the Midwest. Uh, and I have two older brothers. Uh, so again, at home too, I got to have both cultures. Wow. So that was also pretty cool. 
That is so cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I always hear about this with adopting because I feel like you hear about older children not getting adopted very often. So that's, you know, 12 is an older age to be adopted. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little bit older age, I guess, than you would think. And a lot of adoptions, I think, are also, you know, a little bit different. Most of the children come from orphanages. I was lucky enough to have, you know, neighbors, friends and family, you know, more of what you call a village style raising kid. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So it's kind of good, too. I got to see both sides. I got to see what it's like to live in the third world and to have struggles. And then uh, come here and be presented with a different opportunity. And um, yeah, so I'm really, uh, I'm really lucky and I'm very grateful. And that's so cool that your dad is from Ethiopia. When did he come to the States? So yeah, he came as a high school exchange student, actually. And then he went back and then uh, came back for college. And uh, uh, him and my mom actually met in college. So yeah, pretty cool story. Oh that they my have gosh. To, yeah. That is yeah, the so, coolest story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do your so parents run? Uh, not really. My dad does just for like, you know, enjoyment and an exercise, uh, but not like competitive or anything like that. And then what about your brothers? Uh, so my brothers, uh, they, my oldest brother ran in high school and uh, he, they both grew up with like a sport induced asthma and being in sport really, they both have overcome it. Uh, so yeah, we were very involved, very active family growing up, but my parents were very, um, we were very academic oriented family. Uh, my father was a professor and my mother was a guidance counselor. So education was always, uh, emphasized as well as like being, you know, just being a contributing part of society. Once you were done with your education, it's pretty expected. Uh, so I think, you know, that foundation is definitely, um, very helpful to any child to have to, you know, be part of a community, giving back. That was something that we were taught at a very young age. My dad was, uh, he taught for 32 years. So (laughs) he's actually currently retired, but it was, it was really cool to watch him and see how passionate he was about that as well as my mom was too. So they're very hardworking people. My parents are very hardworking people. Um, So the work ethic was definitely, I would say, you know, came in a pretty early age, uh, even though anytime you grow up uh, in a third world country, you always have that, uh, even as a child. So, yeah. Yeah. So you you ran in high school and then you ran for a smaller college, Grandview College, right? Yeah, Grandview is a university now. I've grown a little bit since I went there. Okay. So yeah, my running story is actually a little bit of an unconventional one, I would say. So I joined uh, the cross-country team in the seventh grade. Uh, and really, that was like to make friends. Uh, I was new to the culture. I was new to everything. I didn't really speak English that well uh, when I first got here. So it was kind of running was a way that I connected with people. It's something that I had in common with kids. Uh, so really, um, I just went out for fun. And the good thing for me is my parents, when they were like pushy about it, they were like, okay, you're going to go do this thing. Cool. <laughs> you know, we'll pick you up or drive you. But, uh, uh, and then really, I just had such a good time with it. I'm like, this is so cool. You just get to spend time with your friends. I didn't think anything of it. Uh, and I was lucky enough to have people who really uh, encouraged me along the way in high school. Uh, my high school story, I wouldn't say was like, amazing but 
One thing I had along the way is I've always had this amazing men who coach me, like this men who cared about my well-being as a human first and then runner as a second. So that was, I think, uh, very important. I never really thought that was like something unique or special, but I guess it is because um, not every coach is like that. Um, my high school coach, Pat Hennis, I have a really good relationship with him and his wife, Beth. Uh, they have been uh, people that I've like looked up to and people who have been supportive of me, not just as a runner, but as a person. Uh, in college, they didn't miss any races. They Aww. came to everything. Yeah. And, uh, and they do, um, they have two sons. Uh, so their oldest son, Sam, uh, basically grew up with me. He was like just born when I joined the high school team and met the family. So, you know, basically grew up with the team and then they adopted a son from Ethiopia. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and then the youngest son, Mangesha, he's actually my godson. Oh my uh, so, goodness. Yeah. So I was just able to, you know, form this amazing relationship and bond with them. Uh, where, you know, they're a family now. So it's just, <laughs> uh, that's really awesome. And I really valued those relationships. Uh, high school, um, I just was just around these amazing, phenomenal runners. Um, so Shelby Hulahan from Iowa, uh -huh. she was a little younger than me, but she was still kicking my butt. <laughs> uh, and I don't know, you probably don't know Stephanie Munt, but she has an awesome story. She was a National Gatorade Runner of the Year out of my class. Uh, Ashley Miller is another one and just a bunch of these amazing runners. So I never really thought of myself as a high school, like standout mm -hmm. just because I was around all these phenomenal kids who were doing awesome things. My highest finish at state was like fourth place. Oh, that's still really good. Though. <laughs> that's like, those that were was the like my to me. senior year, but I just always felt like, Oh man, like I'm not winning. So, yeah. you know, it was a little bit different, but, um, you know, my high school coach, he really um, encourages, you know, being a lifelong runner. That's like his goal is to create lifelong runners and healthy people, which I really appreciate. And he really is about mentoring and helping all the young women that he coaches beyond running. Uh, so it's really, I just had this amazing community growing up around me. So that yeah. was definitely helpful. And then when it came to college, I wanted a smaller school. I wanted a smaller class size. So that was very important. Uh, and, um, you know, I wasn't really looking for an athletic scholarship. So um, actually, it's funny because I tell people like, oh, I went to Grandview, but, you know, not for the money. It, I would have been better off going to a Division One where I could have gotten a you know full ride versus going to a smaller school. Uh, so most of my scholarship there was academic, uh, except for room and board. So that was also another thing. My parents were like, you're going to run in college? You know, you don't have to. Like, you know, <laughs> so it wasn't like any pressure put on me. Um, but going to Grandview, I really um, appreciate the environment and the people. And I'm like, OK, I can see myself here. Uh, and also the coaches. One of the things that I had while I was there is my high school. Uh, my high school coach was close by. And him and my college coach will talk all the time just because, you know, they both just cared about me. Uh, his name was Jerry Monner, our head coach. And then we had an assistant who was also the strength and uh, conditioning coach, Coach Robertson. And he definitely, I credited him for a lot of the stuff that I do now, you know, just being efficient in the weight room, keeping my body healthy. I just learned a lot from Coach Robertson and 
um, you know, going into freshman year being this like a scrawny high school kid, oh, this <laughs> is going to make me big. And I was terrified and <laughs> just taught me all these things that are like, no, we're doing this for strength. And, uh, you know, and I had a very successful uh, college career there. They were able to keep me really healthy. For some reason, my body can just handle a lot. And uh, I was very happy. That was the environment that I was in. I was very happy. It was very family-like. Uh, they never pushed anything on me or made me do anything that, you know, I didn't want to do. Uh, if anything, they were more working on holding me back because <laughs> I was very motivated. I was very motivated to get better every day and just have a better uh you know, have a better outcome than I did in high school, even though high school was fun and was successful in a lot of people's eyes. I just wanted to be better. And um, they really embraced that. Like I was the only one on the team who would run two runs. I definitely did doubles. I would run every morning uh, and <laughs> and then I would run into practice with the team again. <laughs> so it was it was definitely the environment for me to succeed academically and also athletically. Yeah, you know, I appreciate you bringing up how how awesome these ma- male coaches were to you because there's just a, a lot of negativity that you do hear about. So it's always good when people share these positive stories too. And it sounds like your high school coach was such a special man. Is he still coaching at that high school? Yes, he is. And it's funny too, he's just gotten more and more successful uh, like the teams have been winning. I think they've won like three straight state titles now, which when I was there, wow. I think our highest finish as a team was like we got on the podium and that was awesome. Yeah. But it wasn't like the that wasn't the most important thing to him. Uh, we were the most important thing. You know, us being healthy was the most important thing. And yeah, I've been so lucky even post collegiately. Like um, so I also trained post collegiately uh, in Providence with Kurt uh you know, he was an amazing miler of his own, but a lot of people don't know that. <laughs> you know, a lot of people know him as Molly Huddle's husband, which, and you know, Molly and Kurt are just two amazing people. And I think I just, uh, I just valued as well with him too. He just really cares about his athletes as people. Uh, and I've always, you know, I've always had male coaches. I think in my whole running career, maybe I had one middle school female coach and I really didn't see the difference. But lucky for me, uh, all these men just have really cared about me as a person, uh, whether that was Kurt, whether him, you know, trying to help me find the right environment or right, you know, things for me. Um, yeah, you know, I really consider a lot of him as a father figure and uh, They've really looked out for me. So, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky. And I think there are a lot of coaches out there like that, but they don't get the attention because there's only always, you know, those few bad apples yeah. that everybody wants to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> what was that like training out there with Kurt? And, and did you get to do a lot of training with Molly? No. So uh, Molly, you know, Molly and Emily and those guys are coached by uh, Ray Tracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Kurt, you know, has this, uh, it's called New England Distance Project and it's post-collegiate, it's a nonprofit, you know, group that they bring in just um, as a developmental group, as well as, uh, you know, we help coach the Providence Middle School kids. Oh, cool. So, yeah, no, training with uh, with Kurt was awesome. The group was amazing. I'm still friends with all of them. I check in every week uh, with the group. So, uh, I definitely really appreciated that. Kurt and Molly, I think one of the things I appreciate is they're good people. 
Uh, and Molly just never acts like she's above everyone. Like you would never know uh, who she is unless you knew running. She's not like look at me type of person. Uh, and I think I gravitate towards that just because I just have a lot of wholesome people in my life. And they really match that and being good people. You know, they're not like, look at us, look at all these nonprofit things that we're doing. You know, she works very hard for that group. She puts on a race every year. She doesn't have to do that. And, uh, you know, he coaches out of the goodness of his heart. He's not paid, but he does, you know, more than a full-time job with all of us. So, yeah. That is really cool. I didn't know it was a nonprofit. Yeah, it's a nonprofit, and he coaches basically for free. If anything, more is coming out of their pocket to help us be more successful. So, you know, I really value that, and they're not the type of people who throw it out there. You know, you look at what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, so I just, I just love that and appreciate how real they are. Yeah. Well, and I should mention to give Molly a shout is I listened to your interview on her podcast, Keeping Track. And that's where I, that's where I found out that you did the two mile shakeout run. CIM. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So you're in Phoenix now. Is that where you're living? Yeah. Yeah. So I just really, um, the two years I was in Rhode Island, there was really, you know, I was happy, but there was a lot of struggles with running. Uh, so another thing Kurt like helped me do was get, find out what was going on, Mm. you know? Uh, so I was super anemic, mm. which I've had since high school, but I didn't know that I had a vitamin D issue. Mm. Uh, so my vitamin D and my iron were so low that I was barely functioning. Uh, and I just, you know, I just needed, uh, I needed an environment. I felt like I was weather wise that I was going to be <laughs> happy in. Uh, so yeah, I moved out to Phoenix, uh, about six months ago. Oh, wow. It's still super yeah. fresh. It's still super fresh. I <laughs> uh, found a job here. So, yeah, I'm working full time in Phoenix. Uh, I am a graduate student <laughs> and I'm running. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. So, yeah, yeah the- <laughs> you're, you're working. You, you have kind of funny hours, right? You're working. Is it like Wednesday through Sunday? Yeah, Wednesday through Saturday. So I work four tens. Oh, four so four ten hour days. Yeah. So I have a really funky schedule. Uh, and you know, it's been great so far. The only thing that I haven't found is more, I'm working on finding that community aspect. I've always been super passionate about community and being involved. Uh, like in Rhode Island, I was coaching those middle school kids and I really love that. Uh, I definitely think, uh, it's a two way road. Hopefully I get to, you know, uh, inspire them and like to be part of a community to give back. But also they're so inspiring to me. I love kids. I think kids just see the world in a different light than we do. And they have no fear. And that's like one of the best things. Uh, I think it can really change your outcome of how you do things. Like I was telling you, Molly and Ro, when I was on their podcast, like one of the things I loved about those kids is, I, a lot of them have never done the sport, but they're not afraid to try things. Like the first time I put out a hurdle, everybody was like, I want to do it. I want to try it must be. And everybody started going over it. And I'm like having a heart attack over here. Somebody's <laughs> going to die today. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like it's a, it's a two-way road. And uh, that's one thing I would like to find here. Did you, like, I know you said you picked a place to move because of like the sunshine and whatever, but was Phoenix kind of like, random? Was it just wherever you would find a job or did you pick Phoenix and then find the job? 
So it's kind of interesting. So we came out to Phoenix uh, actually with the New England Distance Project prior for training camp. And I was like, oh, okay, I really like this place. I've been here before, but not to that capacity where I stayed for like a month or so. And then I also have uh, friends who reside in Flagstaff. So I've okay. been up there before just to visit. And uh, um, you probably know Diane and um, Janet Beckham. They both live up there. And I've been friends with them for years. They've been really uh, instrumental in encouraging people in my life. And uh, so I was like, okay, they'd be about two hours away so I won't completely be alone. And then I also just... Uh, this more simulates the climate that I grew up in. Ethiopia is very dry heat, mm-hmm. and Phoenix is very similar. Uh, and then also I kind of like, you know, having places to run, kind of check out from the city life. I'm not really a city person, so Boston and Providence are very much a city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, yeah, Phoenix just basically hit on all those things that I wanted. So I just basically went to Flagstaff the first month and then came down for job interviews Mm -hmm. down here. So that's basically how I did it. And then I got a job and got a a place. And Molly and Kurt were very kind to house me until I found a place in Scottsdale. So, yeah. (laughs) Um, what's What's the travel, like Flagstaff to Phoenix? Uh, it's about two hours. Okay. Yeah. But you were and, uh, staying in Scottsdale with Molly? Uh, so I was staying in their home there in Scottsdale okay. the first, like, two weeks because I got my job before I got a place. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I've always been just really lucky to – I'm a true believer in that, like, you know, if you have a group of people around you that are encouraging and helpful, you go far. And I definitely have had – uh, a lot of those, whether that's like teachers, coaches, friends, so and family. So I've been I've been very lucky. Yeah, and so your job, you're an academic advisor. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. So what did, what was your undergrad in? So my uh, background is in health promotion, wellness management. Okay. So setting up corporate wellness, which uh, I will go back to <laughs> some. But you want to get your PhD? Like you just started grad school? So I'm getting my master's. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So I'm getting my master's and uh, uh, through the actually the institution that I work for currently. Okay. So, and what are you getting your master's in? So I actually started an MBA. Okay. But I realized uh, that I'm not passionate about MBA. <laughs> <laughs> so which is okay. I'm just a couple classes in. Uh, but I think I would want to do it in corporate wellness, which okay. we have masters in. So. Okay. Yeah. Combining the health and definitely uh, people definitely works for me. So she's running a hundred mile weeks, (laughs) (laughs) working 40 hours a week and going to grad school. So um, let's talk about the marathoning a little bit. This was your sixth marathon. And I didn't realize until afterwards that you bounced, like you did Twin Cities straight to CIM. (laughs) That's a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, yeah. So I did Twin Cities in October, and then I was like, hey, I got nothing to lose. This would be Might so as well. fun. Okay. And yeah, I'm like, why not? And I also think I, my recovery is a little bit different than a lot of people, I think. My body bounces back pretty quick, okay. which is interesting. And uh, I really accredited that to my eating. I'm a really good eater. <laughs> That's awesome. I like food. Uh, and I think that has a lot to do with my upbringing as well. Like I was I'm, I was raised on like eating fresh fruit and greens and all that stuff. So really, I don't have to try very hard to be a, a good eater. Naturally, that's just what I like. 
uh, and I eat a lot. <laughs> and I think everybody should. <laughs> no, this is my opinion. It makes me happy. <laughs> Tell me about that transition from moving to the states, though. If your dad's from Ethiopia too, were you eating a lot of like traditional Ethiopian meals in your home? Uh so um, yes and no. Okay, like we do. Um, you know, my dad cooks, uh, and my mom also cooks a lot. So my mother's actually her background. I think her family is like Dutch. Okay. So she really, what she makes is American food. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like, but my parents were very, now that I think about it, I was raised a little bit different with food. They cooked a lot. Okay. So we always had home cooked meals. Okay. Uh, I always tell people the fastest food I ate growing up was Subway. Uh-huh. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, no, my family didn't eat like McDonald's and all those different things. So I think they were very, um, they didn't, they weren't like very health conscious of like, you guys can't eat this type of people, but they always provided healthy meals for us every night. So that's what we were used to as a family. And that's all we knew. Uh, <laughs> so I think I kind of like, you know, grew up on that habit. Uh, even though, you know, in Ethiopia, I don't eat packaged things or anything like that, at least where I grew up. So coming here, uh, the adjustment was, you know, good because my parents did a good job. Uh, but and then even now, like if I eat foods that are fried that I'm not used to, my stomach mm-hmm. doesn't like me. So it's not really by choice. Really, yeah, you sometimes. don't want to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then I think I, I enjoy cooking. Mm-hmm. So that's good, too. Uh, so I usually cook, you know, I have busy weeks, so I usually cook my meals on Tuesdays and I have all my meals ready for the rest of the week. So I don't really, I'm not ever tempted to be like, oh, let's just go out or go out the road or anything like that. Do you, um, so. do you typically run twice a day? Yes. So my, my day usually starts around 4.50 a.m. 4.50, <laughs> so, okay. Uh, I'm a, I'm a huge coffee drinker. And I mean, I think that has, again, a lot to do with culture. I think I drinking coffee before I can crawl. The Ethiopian culture is very big on coffee. It's our main like export. Uh, so yeah, I have my coffee. I'm out the door by five something and I do my first run. I come back, get ready. Uh, I'm, I'm in the office at 8 a.m. usually depending on what day it is. Uh, and then I do my second run on my lunch which is sometimes like most of the time at 1 p.m. Okay. So 1 p.m. in Phoenix, sometimes it's like 1.15. <laughs> but uh, I don't mind. I love the heat. <laughs> oh, like 115 degrees out? Yes, Ooh. yes. Uh, so it really works for me, and I just do what I have to. So I get my double in at that time, and then usually I do my strength training on my days off. Okay. So my days off are kind of packed, but it's good too. It's yeah. good. I'm like a... I like that busy going lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. Sometimes on days off, like just from life in general, I, I think I want that. And then it, I sort of get this, like little <laughs> bit of a depression. Like yeah. yesterday we didn't have hardly anything going on. And I was like, I, I like this a lot, but I also am feeling really anxious because I feel like I need to be doing something, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then I just also think about like people are like, oh my God, you're doing a whole lot. And I'm like, do you know there's people who do this with kids? Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I just admire parents. I'm like, how are you doing all these things? <laughs> Childcare, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that too. Like, and I have a coworker who's like doing, you know, full-time job, three kids, and he's working on his PhD. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and I tell myself, you have nothing to complain about. Yeah. <laughs> 
They do. They do add quite a lot of different things. I think. I think one of the biggest things with kids is like the variable of like not getting as much sleep and like just because you don't know, like you don't know if someone's going to be sick or who's going to have to stay home or you know whatever. Yeah, I would say that's one of the things I also kind of sacrifice in. Uh, I wish I was a better sleeper in college. Oh my gosh, I think I would have been better. <laughs> do you sleep a lot now? Mm, well, I try. I try. I would say I do okay. I get six to seven. Okay. You know, depending and on. That's okay. Does that feel okay to you? Yeah. And I mean, I think it just depends on the day. Now that my iron is coming back up and I'm taking my vitamin D, I think I have a little bit more energy. And uh, and I think, you know, Kurt uh, was definitely, he's a good reminder of the balances sometimes because he's really good at like, um, you know, just kind of reminding us when I was with him about the balance of just like, you need to rest. And <laughs> so I always think about this. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be doing all these things, you know. And uh, it's funny too when it comes to that. Like, um, so for me, the training that I do is all dependent on me. So I'm currently not really working with a coach. Okay. So people are like, so are you self-coach? And I'm like, well, I'm not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't come up with this coaching theory. Uh, I just use, you know, all the things, all the tools that this man have given me throughout the years. So I use, you know, what, what I've learned from Kurt, what I've learned from my high school coach, what I've learned from my college coaches, uh, you know, I had three of them in college. Well, we had Coach Matter, who was the head coach, and then Robertson was the strength and conditioning. And then we had uh, Bree Hunt. She was like the long jumps, you know, but she was around as well. So I try to use um, everything that I've learned from them. So, you know, definitely a lot of those are like, oh, you shouldn't be doing, you know, X, Y, and Z. This is extra. <laughs> but I don't ever limit myself. Uh, I also love that. I don't ever limit myself based on running. Yeah. Like if I want to go hiking or if I have friends in town, I'm going to go hiking. Instead yeah, I'm not going to be stupid and go snowboarding and break something. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I think it's very important to live. And I see a lot of runners like, oh, I can't do that. Oh, I can't go here. Like. I think it's very important to live within a reason because there is more to life. Like, you know, you should really enjoy what you're doing. If running is not bringing you joy, it's definitely not maybe something you should be doing. You should evaluate. And I'm not saying every day is a happy day. Sure. You know, I have bad runs just like everybody else. <laughs> it varies day to day, but it should be good. It should be something that makes you feel good about yourself. Well, it also, to me, gives you the freedom to, like, really listen to your body. Not that you couldn't do that with a coach, but, like, you know if you're, like, planning to run 14 miles on Tuesday, you can wake up in the morning or get through half of your run and know, like, should I continue on or, like, is this just not the day? Um, and yeah. you're kind of just, like, res like, you're just holding yourself accountable. Like, you want to work hard. You wanted to run a 230 marathon, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's a, that's a very important thing, learning to listen to your body, learning to, because anybody nowadays, people are selling workouts online, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and I just really encourage people to find people that you trust, people have your, you know, your well-being being the first thing at heart and, and minds of those coaches, like, um, I do think that's very important. Is it one thing to coach yourself when you've had experiences yes. or to do Versus a high school kid, like, you know, I definitely wouldn't recommend that. Uh, well, and with those, like, workouts and plans that you're talking about that are sold, like, I always say, like, if you purchase a pre-made plan, that's fine. But, like, 
you can't follow that plan to the exact T if like your foot hurts one day. Don't say like, I have to run this five miles on Wednesday (laughs) because this is what the plan says. Like you have to, you have to be mature enough to listen to your body and trust your instincts. And I don't know that that's why I think some people do hire coaches because they might not be mature enough or in, in running, not in life to, to handle that. Like, should I run? Should I not run? Do I need to pull back? Should I push a little bit more? Yeah, I definitely encourage people to do that. And I definitely, you know, find people that work for you and work with you. And uh, like you said, I'm not really a self-endorser of coach yourself type of person. I think if you have the resources, it's definitely nice to have, you know, an eye around somebody that you trust, somebody that could help you. I think that's very important. Okay, so you ran, you did run a 230, which is five, (laughs) five minutes, like, that's a big PR for anybody, but like from to go down from a two thirty six to a two thirty or two thirty five to a two thirty, that's crazy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and, and I mean, that was Twin Cities to CIM, right? Yeah, yeah. So Twin Cities, I had a mini little PR. Okay. I was thirty six, and then I was a thirty five. I uh-huh. was like, oh, okay. Uh, it's it was a little bit of different uh, feeling going into it, just because I really struggled uh, in New England. And I haven't had really had a good race uh, in a while. So I was like, well, I'll go there. And if I qualify for the trials, great. If not, this is something that I'm still, I love doing. So why not? Uh, so going into Twin Cities and people are like, oh, what type of workouts have I been doing? I'm like, I've just been putting one foot in front of the other. And if it doesn't go well, then I'm just like, okay, cool. Time to go to work. You don't have time to sit here and like, you know wonder about which part went wrong. Sometimes you can overanalyze things and I just don't believe in that. I do believe you should plan for success. You know, I sit down and I go, okay, you know, I have, I have little mantras that get me through the week and that motivate me. But at the same time, I'm not really huge, um, of like, I don't put a lot of emphasis on workouts just because how you work out is not how you race, at least for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not like a hero of workouts. I don't go out there and kill workouts. Mm-hmm. And I think if you do that, great. You know, if that's going to predict what you're going to run, awesome. It just doesn't work for me. That's not me. <laughs> I'm yeah. more like, yeah, I'm more in tune with how I feel and a uh, true believer that like, you know, races really take you to a different level than workouts do. That's really refreshing. Um, yeah. So going into CIM, did you think that 230 was in the realm of possibility on that day? So I'm like one, I don't really like to focus on time. Mm, okay. I just like to like run hard. And then at the end of the race, look at the race, look at myself and say, okay, I got everything I could out of myself today. Mm. Uh, I think that's very important. I don't really check my watch throughout the race I don't know what pace we're on I like to wear it though because my garment told me I had a you know you had a record when I was done (laughs) (laughs) you did you sure did I was like oh cool but I don't ever like look at my watch in the middle of a race ever Um, no I think it's really important to be engaged with your body engaged in what's going on around you because it's a race it's not like you know some people are really good at that but I've never been I don't like splits so it's actually kind of funny for coaches who really know me. Uh, in college, I was doing a 5K and our distance coach was gone and our sprints coach was the one who was like, 
in charge of helping us. And then he started reading me splits every 200. And <laughs> I gave him this look and he asked one of my teammates, what's wrong with her? And my teammate, and I told my teammate, tell him if he reads another split, uh, 200, I'm going to stop running. <laughs> so all my coaches know to tell me to like either relax. Okay. Uh, my college coach used to tell me like, oh yeah, because I, running happy was my favorite thing in college. Mm-hmm. I, embrace the fact of like you should just be happy when you're running even when it hurts is when you should start smiling <laughs> fake smile uh so you would always my teammates would always cheer keep smiling up and it's like the 10k or like they'll do a song or something like that so yeah I've never been a splits person like I don't know like it stresses you out and it really doesn't I don't know for me it doesn't work for me <laughs> Well, I feel like it can put limitations on you too, because if you see a number that's like, seems too fast, like scary fast, but your body feels okay, like that might scare you out of like doing something really great. Yeah. So at Twin Cities in 2015 was when I ran uh, my 236 or whatever. And uh, when I ran there, I uh, went there and then I just started running with this group of women. I didn't really think about it. And it was like, uh, you know, some people that uh, ran way above me, you know, some people from Kenya, Ethiopia, and I was just in the group. And I was like, oh, you know, and they were very um, encouraging group. That's what I loved about it. Mm. So I was like, I'm going to run with them. Like, you know, even if I'm slow, you know, so what? They'll at least be encouraging. They'll carry me through certain parts. I didn't think about it. I just ran. We get to the halfway point and the timer says at the half marathon, 115. Mm. I was like. Uh, what? I haven't run that in a half marathon. Oh, you, that was your PR at the time. My PR was 116. And we, here we come through half <laughs> 116. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it's either going to be a really good day or a really bad day. The good thing is my high school coach and his family were in the course. So I, he was able to just be like, oh, relax. You're fine. I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> keep assuring me of that. But, um, so I went on to run, I think my PR before that was 246. Wow. So I went on to run like a big PR there. So really, I, I tend to not really think about times and just kind of go by feel and see how things are going. And sometimes for some people, that is very risky. And it is risky, I'm sure, for me too. Yeah. Uh, because in high school, I had a really hard time with pacing. I would go out so hard and I would die. So uh, it's something that I've had to just really, even now, I wouldn't say that I'm a pacing queen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so CIM was a similar. I knew, I knew Jane was somebody who would be supportive. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest thing, I think, for me is uh, I ran with Twin Cities with her in 2015. Okay, she, she was in that was group. Up there. <laughs> yeah, she, she left me after the half. She was in that group. Uh, but I was just like, you know what? It's a risk. But I came here to take a risk. I had the trial standards. I wanted to have fun. I think people miss how much of being part of the running room and the running community. Like, it's so fun. Um, you know, so I was like, I'm just going to take a risk and run with her. And the night before, like, I don't really like to plan how things are going to go, how things are going to shake out. But I mean, I was talking to Janet and I was like, hey, so I'm thinking about running with her. What do you think? She's like, oh, I think that's a good idea. Just be aware and don't, you know, blow up type of thing. And she gives good advice. She has a lot of experience. So I was like, okay, 
I'm going to run with her. And uh, that morning when we started, I was like, okay, this is good. But she is um, very supportive and very caring. And we share water every mile we were together. But a mile nine, it was when it hit me and I wanted to drop from her. Oh, no, that's too early. (laughs) It was so early. Mile nine, I'm like, oh, I'm starting to struggle. And she's like, no, you can't leave me out here. So (laughs) I'm like, okay, I'll stick with you. And then... um, yeah, basically we shared drinks, we encouraged each other. And then um, when we got to 21 was when I definitely knew I was like, oh, man, I can't hang anymore. Like, it's funny because at 16 or 17, somebody said, oh, great job, you guys. You guys are on 228 pace. And I was like, we are what? <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, well, that's pretty cool. Don't think about that. Because at halfway, I made sure to avoid the clock. Sure. So I didn't yeah. look uh-huh. <laughs> going uh-huh. <laughs> so um yeah and then at 21 I was like okay like you have to go I kept telling her you have to go and then she kept saying like yeah yeah but you can do it keep coming and I was like That's okay so cool. yeah yeah I, I do think uh, I found really working with women like her working with my uh, you know there are a lot of my American counterparts who are like that too but with among the Africans I find that it's very common to it really have that group camaraderie. Yeah. Is she Ethiopian? No, she's Kenyan. Kenyan. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how, how well did you know her other than just like running with her in Twin Cities in 2015? Um, I have a lot of respect for her just because she is like a good human, I believe, uh-huh. you know, from just a lot of my encounters and experiences with her. And I do think, uh, I think that says a lot for me. I'm really not fascinated with people of how good they are or how fast they are. I'm more like, okay, show me what kind of person you are and I'll root for you. So I feel like I'm more of like, I'm very resistant Mm -hmm. to jump on somebody just because they run fast in groups or people. I'm like, if you're not a good human, if you're not lifting other people up, then I don't really care. No offense. (laughs) I don't really care for you. Just just be a good human, really. It's not that hard. Yeah. And uh, she's just a very kind person. So... (laughs) All right, everybody, I'm going to break in real quick and thank a supporter of the podcast and tell you about a race that I cannot wait to go to, and that is the Donna Marathon. It is the weekend of February 7th through the 9th in Jacksonville, Florida. This race directly supports the Donna Foundation, which helps fund groundbreaking research for breast cancer, and the organization also helps those living with the disease. I've met Donna. Donna's been on the podcast, and I've I've gotten to get to know this team who is really more like a family and I just couldn't think of a better race to support. It's a beautiful weekend in Jacksonville, Florida. It's so much fun. They have so many race options and the marathon course specifically is a flat, fast Boston qualifying course. I'm going to be doing the half for the third year in a row. I'm really excited about that. And you guys can save 15% off any of the race distances. Head over to breastcancermarathon.com and use the code Lindsay15 to get 15% off your registration. I am going to be doing a meetup and I'm going to be doing some sort of podcast live recording down there. Just happy to be back for the third time and I hope I get to meet a lot of people. The link to that to register will be in the show notes at lindsayhine.com. And by the way, congratulations to Sarah Byrne. She was the winner of our big giveaway that we did. I'm really excited to meet you, Sarah. All right, friends, if you enjoy this show and you're looking for bonus episodes, I do provide those over on my Patreon page 
at patreon.com slash lindsayhine. You get two bonus episodes a month over there. All right. Enjoy the rest of my conversation with Abze Baru. Yeah. So do you feel like you're kind of having a year? I mean, you, you, I mean, if you PR'd by the minute at Twin Cities this year, but that was from 2015. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, let's talk about that kind of perseverance and patience though, then. Because, <laughs> I mean, that's four years mm-hmm. in the making. Yes. And so uh, you talked about kind of struggling with your iron and everything, living in Rhode Island and, and coming here. And you're, you've only been in Phoenix for six months though. So mm-hmm. I think this can be a really big story of encouragement to a lot of people who are like, Oh, I haven't PR'd in three years. I don't know if my days are behind me, you know? Yeah, I do think that there is something to be said for being patient, not that I'm always patient, <laughs> and for progression. You know, I I value those people, I think, who struggle to, you know, do certain things other than people who just have it easy, which in running is never really easy. Uh, but yeah, so I think for me, the click was, so right out of college, I, I had big aspirations and big dreams of running well, and when that didn't go well, um, it was kind of funny because the person that I went back to was my high school coach and his wife. Mm-hmm. And he really was, a, you know, he really encouraged me for that Twin Cities build up. He was there with me. Um, and that Twin Cities race in 2015 really gave me a big hope. And I was like, okay, I'm going to just keep pushing forward and see what happens. And then uh, that really, I would say that carried me to 2017. Uh, in 2017, things were going well. Um, I did well. And when I joined, uh, you know, Kurt and Molly and uh, the New England Distance out in Providence, um, things were clicking. I ran like a 1645 PR on the road for a 5K. And I was like, okay, things are moving in the right direction. And then I had this just down <laughs> in the middle of the downhill. Then I I ran uh, U.S. Cross 10K and qualify for the Pan Ams to represent the U.S. And then that was like another glimpse of hope. And then there I didn't run well. And that's after that, that we found out what was wrong with me. Uh, but I think I've always had this thing. My love for running is bigger than, you know, the times or the, all the other things that have come along that are the benefits of running well, you know, in progression. I, it's like the first thing I do in the morning is how my day starts. So it's a huge part of my life. It's the thing that I do when things are not going well, whether that's 30 minutes or whether that's two hours. Uh, it's it really mentally, emotionally is something that has like throughout the years being consistent and caring, you know, you know how it is. You're a runner. Mm-hmm. And I do believe no matter what level you're on, you have that, yeah. that true love and passion uh, and I think that also, you know, that helps a lot to stay with it and to keep going when it's not going well. And to have people really who believe in you and encourage you. That's what one thing uh, Diane and Janet and my, you know, former teammates, as well as, you know, the people around me, I've, I've always, it's good to have people that just believe in you even when, you know, things are not going well. Yeah. I do value those relationships a lot more. Uh, I think it's easy for people to be there when you're doing well, regardless of what you're doing in life. For me, what's consistent is those friendships, those people that are there when it's not going well, and knowing that I'm always loved, and I'm not the times that I run, 
is running a huge part of me? Yes, but it's not my whole identity. I have, you know, I'm a person at the end of the day. So that definitely, I think, helps. Yeah, it's, you sound very, you have it, the well-rounded piece figured mm-hmm. out. And that's, that is so important. Do you have aspirations to break 230 now? <laughs> yes. So it's funny because 230 has been like a lifetime goal that really? I always thought, oh, like, you know, it'd be so awesome. Like that's, that's like my goal. I think I told, I think I might have told Kurt that when I joined the group actually. So yeah, 230 was a lifetime goal. So I was like, when I heard that 228, I'm like, oh, this would be so cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, I didn't think it was going to come a CIM to be perfectly uh-huh. honest. Yeah. Like I didn't even, that wasn't even a, you know, a thing. People talk about how fast the courses, how flat the courses, by the way, it's not, I loved it, but it was not flat. <laughs> I've heard people say that. What was your yeah. time to the second? And uh, I really, what'd you say? What was your time to the second? Like, what was the exact time? It was uh, 2.30, 30. Okay, so you, you have 31 seconds. Okay. Yes, yes. And uh, it's funny, too, because one of the things I'll say about Twin Cities and CIM, too, is I loved how they welcomed me. Like, Twin Cities you know, they didn't have to bring me back and they didn't even have to take me the first time, yeah. but they've really done it and they've embraced it. And the community behind it is really my favorite part. I don't think people realize how much goes into setting up those kind of races. Uh, Danielle does a really good job at CIM. You know, she's the elite coordinator as well as Greg used to be for Twin Cities. And Twin Cities, one of the things I love about it is it like involves the whole city. <laughs> like everybody, including their dogs, is out of the house. That's People awesome. always say, what about the summer hills? And yeah, there is the summer hills, but I feel like you don't feel it as much just because you have so much crowd support. Uh, and CIM, I was really surprised uh, by the crowd support as well. Really? There's a lot of people, yeah. Because on the course like that, I thought, well... You know, maybe it's one of those courses where there won't be a lot of spectators and could kind of feel lonely. But I don't know whether that was just like I'm so engaged with the race. And uh, but no, I I think they definitely the, the Sacramento community was great, and um, they definitely did a great job of putting it on. So that's awesome. So when you line up in February at the trials, what what is your <laughs> what's your thought process for just well, first of all, you know getting there as far as training <laughs> uh so yeah I'm gonna run and enjoy it and be happy <laughs> every day until then I even thought about not doing it which is really? kind of yeah like at first I was like well you know <laughs> but and then I was like well why not like you I just gotta do it I know so I did the 2016 trials and you know that was a good experience and then I thought about it and then I was like uh, well, do I really, should I do something else? But and now I'm like, yeah, I, here's why I keep coming back to it. I think it's so, um, there is always different falls and different downfalls of organizations and how people conduct things. Sure. Uh, but I do, one thing I appreciate and love about how our system is set up is it gives everybody a chance. Mm-hmm. If you hit the time, you get a chance. Yeah. And I think that's something wonderful and that's something great to be celebrated of. You get to be, you get to have a shot. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how slow you are. I mean, some of those women have run by however many minutes faster than me, but I still get to line up with them and I still get to do it versus other places where they're like, okay, you did X, Y, and Z, so you get to be an Olympian. And I just, uh, I think that's something about our system that people really need to embrace. 
that's something I like to see for, you know, for as long as possible in, in our sport and also in the U.S. So that's awesome. That is um, really cool. And you do have a chance. You have a shot. <laughs> you could be. You, I mean, you really do. You have a shot, just like every single person there towing that line. Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, I think I think you just don't know, too. Like, I don't know what's going to happen with people between now and then. Right. Uh, I always just say, at the end of the day, it's a race. Uh, and on that day, you just have to be healthy and yeah. be able to perform. And it could be anybody's day. I'm not saying it's me because, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a 40 hour work week person over here. There is, I'm sure, a lot of elites who are. And I also don't like to look at it that way. Sure. I think yeah. we all work hard. It doesn't matter if you're a mom or you work 40 hours. I think that's if anything, I I see that as an advantage. Yeah. yeah. You know, so <laughs> I think there's sometimes this thing out there of like a persona. Um, you know, I've heard it a lot, to be honest, of if you work full time, if you have something other than running, if you do anything extra that's outside of it, you're not serious about your running. I'm like, no, I'm really passionate about my running and I love to do it. Once you put me in a starting line, I am going to be like a competitor. Um but aside from that, I don't know. I just, I love to run with everybody. Like the person I warm up, I ran my pre-race with in Sacramento. That's, this is how I make friends. And it's really weird. She, her goal was 315. Really? Um, she was outside of her hotel getting ready to run. And I was like running. I ran two minutes from my hotel and saw her. And I said, Hey, um, do you have, like, are you meeting friends? And she's like, no. And I'm like, do you want to run together? And she said, I think. I'm going to want to run slow and I'm only doing 20 minutes. I'm like, oh, that's okay. <laughs> I'm like that consistently annoying person. I'm like, well, that's okay. So I made a friend. Her name was Julia and she was from Colorado. Hey, I Julia. Up- Hopefully she's <laughs> I ended up doing my pre-race run with uh, and just like getting to know people from all aspects of life. That's and cool. I think that's a very important part. And then I met another lady, another girl named Mary at, C- at Twin Cities also, who is now my friend. So <laughs> I'm like that annoying person. My college coach used to make fun of me because I would finish a race and then I would run back and try to go find the rest of my teammates. <laughs> and that was like my favorite part. I think the team aspect is still a huge part of me. Uh, so just like Jane, I, li- I like to see it that way in the sense that we're all together in it and it's a big journey and it's not just... Uh, you know, because you can do it, you can accomplish all these great things. Why does it matter unless you have people to share it with? Yeah, that's so you good. Know? Did so. you, when you warmed up with, with, um, what's her name from Colorado? Oh, Julia. Julia. So the day before the race, pre-race. Oh, it yeah. was the pre-race day before. Yeah. I was like, I don't know, man. If I was trying to run 315 and you came up to me trying to warm up, I'd be like, oh, are you running 10 minutes for this warm up? So it was the day before. Okay, cool. Yeah, it was the day before. Did she get before. one look at your abs and be like, I don't oh, know no. what you got going on here? Can no. we talk about your abs for a minute? Oh, my gosh. Is that like a topic of conversation a lot? Your abs are so ripped. Oh, thanks. It's funny. A lot of people like would message me and they're like, what do you do for ab workouts? And I'm like, what? Like, I, <laughs> I don't do crunches. You I don't Do you really focus like- on core a lot? I don't really feel like I don't do it for the core or anything like that. I do like things that I feel like are going to keep me healthy 
And if that in return helps my core, then that's great. Uh, but I tell people, I used to shovel a lot of snow. I grew up in Iowa, so that helps. Sure. <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> I didn't get that from shoveling snow. Uh, but yeah, and I, I just think, um, and that's a huge part of it too. Like running just really makes me love, like I'm not obsessed with myself, but I love my body. I love the Feels body good. that I'm in. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people always say to me like, oh, you look like 800 meter runner. Mm. And I'm just like, okay, like, that's why I like 800 meter runners. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how you're built. I wouldn't have never uh, taken you for a marathoner. (laughs) I'm just like, what what do you mean? Like, (laughs) just how I look. I guess there is like a Pacific look for marathoners, but that's really weird because to me, we're all like different. Uh And that's so cool. We're all different body types and we're all different. (laughs) But you do, you have mentioned that you are in the gym twice a week, like doing Mm -hmm. strength. Like that's super important to you. Yes. Yes. So my uh, college strength and conditioning coach, who was also our thrower's coach, uh, he really like, you know, my internship was actually with him too for my um, major. I did my internship with him in a weight room setting up like, you know, one programs for the athletes. And, um, yeah, I just love, like, I embrace being strong mm-hmm. and being healthy. And I do think uh, your body should be how you feel is how you judge your body. I think the last time I got in a scale was when I go to the doctor's office to get a physical. Mm-hmm. So when people ask me how much I weigh, I'm like, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know because yeah. I like to gauge it on of how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Like, when I run, I'm like, oh, my body feels good today. It's mm-hmm. never like, oh, I know my body, like, I gained this much weight. I gained X, Y, and Z. Like, I really hope people don't do that. Like, don't do that, please. Like, you guys, please don't do that. And just gauge it on how you feel and how it makes you feel as a person. The first thing I say when people say to me they want to lose weight, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, why is that? What's making you feel that way? Mm-hmm. And if somebody says a number, I'm like, okay, but how is that making you feel? Yeah. Like, how is it making you feel on the inside? Because that's what matters. I mean, obviously, there is a healthy weight you should sure. be at. That's different for everyone. Um, but I really encourage people to think of how are you feeling? You know, like, how are you feeling when you run? Do you feel good? You know, does your body hold up? Or how is your training? And it makes me extremely sad when I hear people of like saying, oh, well, I limit myself on this and that because I run. Like, you know, running should really help you widen that horizon, like eat the things that you want. I'm not saying I'm just not a junk eater by choice. Like it's just that's how I am. Uh, like, you know, I was raised in healthy food, so that's what I prefer. I actually bake a lot. Uh, so I bake for my coworkers. I like baking for others. You don't it eat it yourself? Happy. No, I just, I don't like sugar. <laughs> I like sugar in the sense that, like, if it's mangoes or, like, fruits, I love that stuff. So you, can, you can bake an entire thing of cookies and not eat one cookie? Yeah, usually I bring it there and they oh, actually like, I make like yeah. brownies, I make like banana bread for them. They usually have to cut it out of the pan just because I just don't. Oh, like, I, can't, I, don't. I can't have it without eating it. And I'm fine with eating it too. But like yeah. if it's there, if I made it or my, like my husband made cookies last night for the kids and <laughs> I had, I don't, I probably had two cookies. Um, I didn't overthink it at all, but just like, I don't, if it's there, I'm going to eat it. Yeah. You know? So I'm like. I love salt, so I probably eat way too much salt. Oh, I love salt. <laughs> no, you probably don't, though, because you run so much that you'd need it because you sweat yes, so much, right? Yes, and I, I sweat a lot. I think my body just has, like, a way of cooling itself off, so I sweat a whole lot. Like, yeah. I look like somebody dipped me in the pool. Yeah. Like, everybody I've trained with always makes fun of me for that. They're like, how is it possible to sweat this much? I bet you don't eat too much salt then. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, yeah, exactly. I love exactly. it. You sweat it out. So. I, put it, I put salt on everything. Everything. Yes. <laughs> well, I love hearing about your, your balance with your full-time job, your, your love for running and just the holistic, you know, and your school. I mean, you're doing a lot. Have you found a training group or like people to run with in Phoenix? I know you're kind of a solo runner, but do you want to find a group? Um, yeah, like, I mean, I love running with people. Like I said, I love running with slow, fast. I don't really care as long as you're a decent human and you're not going to drop me (laughs) in the first mile. Uh, no. So yeah, I've been running by myself. I run by myself like seven days a week here, but if there was people around to run with, I love that. And I welcome that. I think I've run with people like five times since I've been here. Are you seeking that out? Well, well, it just depends. Like if friends are in town, I run with them. Uh, I ran with Molly and Emily once. She's, she was so gracious to invite me to go run with them. Um, but yeah, so just randomly when people are here, I run with them. Other than that, really, no. Um, I don't really have anybody. People are like, oh, do you want a group? Do you want a sponsorship? I'm like, yeah, those are all things that are ideal, you yeah. know? But I'm going to need something that works with my schedule as far as the job goes. Mm-hmm. Like if anybody is ready to run a five something, oh my gosh, I'd be so happy because I love working with people. That's like, I'm really passionate about people. So, yeah. you know, I would definitely love that. <laughs> how did, so, since you're not sponsored, how did you decide what to wear at the, at the race? How do you, do you decide those things? Oh yeah. So it's really weird. I was just looking in my closet and I'm like, oh, I guess I don't really have, you know. <laughs> I, I just wear our kit from the Pan Am Games. Okay. I had a uniform, the U.S. uniform from okay. there, and I just wore that. Okay. Yeah. Did so, you, and I've been wearing that for a while. <laughs> and then were you, did you wear the Vaporflies? I did wear those. What do you think about those? So, it's funny because I've always run in Nikes uh-huh. since I was like, since I started running. And they work for me, and I never really had the need to switch it out. Uh-huh. So I run my training runs in the Pegasus all the time. Okay. Uh, and one of the things my friends make fun of me for is I just take flats out of the, the box and literally go race in them. Really? Yeah, that's just how I am. And I've had the flats that I've ran Twin Cities and all my races in uh, since 2016, 2017. Okay. And one of my friends was like, oh, my God, Obsey, you're not supposed to run in flats for this long. You need to get new flats. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then I asked somebody, what is a good flat to get? And they're like, well, this is this is what you should get. So I bought those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I liked it. Um, okay. It's different. It's a little bit different. But, again, I, I think I just really didn't think about it. I adjusted it to it and just ran in them. Do you, did you feel like you noticed a difference? I mean, everybody's saying how, like, how awesome they are and how much faster you can run wearing them. But, like, did you f- physically feel that? Um, I think they're soft. Yeah. Like, <laughs> again, with me not being overly analytic about anything. Yeah. Uh, and I really like the color. Yeah. Did you have the green or the pink? I had the pink. The pink, yeah. You know, I had to get the pink. <laughs> I think it's really cool when the men wear the pink. Uh-huh. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. How else do you get a group of men to wear just a bunch of pink shoes? <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Um, okay, well, let's wrap up with some end of the podcast questions. Uh, this has been really fun to get to know your story a little bit. Thank you for having me. What is one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Uh, you mean for running or just in general? And 
whatever, anything. Okay. It could be anything. In general, I think uh, I've been involved with a lot of like volunteerism and nonprofits before, but I think I would love to start my own nonprofit for kids. Oh, cool. Uh, that's more like um, engaging them in physical activities, just like fun, um, fun type of thing like that. Do you, you mentioned before we started recording the conversation that you just love kids so much. Do you, being that your parents adopted you, do you have a heart for that later in life? Yeah. So the whole process of giving birth terrifies me. <laughs> and I've, I've said this since I was eight and people keep telling me I'm going to change my mind and I'm not. <laughs> but okay. yeah, no, I would love to adopt. You would. Do you think yeah. that you would adopt from Ethiopia? No, I mean, to be honest, I'm sure that would be great too, but I don't really care. I wouldn't mind adapting in the U.S. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's kids everywhere that need a home, yeah. so I'm not Pacific and on that. I'm like super, like people probably think I'm overly interested in this topic, but I'm just Oh, curious. no. <laughs> would, you, would you want to adopt an older child? I, it's so funny because people are like, what? I want a five-year-old boy. Really? <laughs> yes. I have one uh, you can borrow to see, yes. to trial it out. <laughs> so I used to work with kindergartners. Okay. Like I was a classroom aide for a kindergarten class. Uh -huh. And that age used to terrify me because I've never worked with like, you know, uh -huh. younger like that. But now I'm like, oh my God, it's like the best age. It really just, is a funny. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I'm, I don't know. For some reason, that's like what I always say. Yeah. You, well, if you ever come to Indianapolis, you can stay at our house and get some like boot camp <laughs> because I've got boys, that, a boy that's five and keep boys all around that age too. Yeah. And I, I love kids. I just think kids are like, like I said, they present a different perspective. Yeah. One of my things I loved about my job working with them was like, you can be having this crazy day and you see them and they just make you forget about it. And you're like, wait, what was happening before I entered your world? <laughs> It is true. So, like you just kind of have to turn it all off for a minute and just see it through, through what they're, what they're going through. I know. I think about that when I'm stressed about things. I'm just like, in my kid's eyes, this is nothing, you know, yes. like this is just like, this doesn't matter, even if it matters to me so deeply right now. Um, and it's, so it just makes everything feel much more simple, which is a good yeah. thing. Like we need that sometimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? Oh, that's a hard one. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, winning Drake Relays in 2010, um, just for a lot of different reasons. So just like, you know, I went to small school, even though I won five national titles and I was 18-time All-American. A lot of people don't know or care about that just because uh, we were in the NAIA. So people have this stigma towards smaller school that if you went to a smaller school, you're not that good or you can't compete with Division One kids, mm. which is not, uh, you know, some people just prefer a smaller academic, you know. I have a huge respect for the NCA, everybody, even like the junior colleges. Um, so Drake Release was, you know, my chance to compete, you know, with Division One kids. Uh, my freshman year was like I got thrown to the wolves <laughs> there. And uh, I grew up with that. And it's, it's such a huge culture in Des Moines, Iowa, of running because Drake Relays, you grew up with it, going to it as a child, watching all these amazing Olympians, world champions. Like, I mean, there isn't anybody that doesn't come to Drake Relays. That's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, and it was a huge honor for me to be able to accomplish that. I ran state meets on that track all four years of high school. And I never was able to win a state title. So being able to do that 
in college competing with all those like division one kids even uh so that was really big that was really big for me to be able to do it in front of like my middle school teachers and high school teachers who encouraged me along the way uh so that was that was awesome I would say that's one huge running accomplishment that I'm proud of that is so cool yeah I've heard so many good things about the Drake relays and I'm sure that being that from being from Des Moines like that has yeah. to be so cool yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, what is the best, most recent book you've read? Oh, I love books. <laughs> uh, so, um, so I read Grit by Angela. That was okay by Angela Dickinson. Yeah. Uh, Did you but, like that? Yeah, it was good. It was good. The Champion's Mind was another one I've read. That's, those are like, like running related. Mm-hmm. But the one that I'm currently reading is called uh, Hillbillyology. Oh. Yes. And it's my second time around, actually. Really? It's just because, yeah, I find it fascinating. So basically, this is like a kind of like a, a memoir of this guy who grows up in like uh, Eastern Ohio. Uh-huh. And definitely like his cultural experience and all these things that go on with his family. Uh, it's like really culture within a culture, even though they're like in, in America. It's still completely different of like, you know, he has a mother who is... Um, you know, struggling with alcoholism, but his grandmother raises him who just, you know, it's very harsh, but very precise. And uh, he ends up going to Yale, I think, law. And uh, so it's really interesting. It's I've really heard it's really good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I like to read a lot of books that are, you know, more of like psychology, uh, culture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I've had that on my list for a long time, and I don't know why I haven't picked it up. But you yeah. should definitely check it out. Yeah. You should definitely check it out. <laughs> for sure. Um, okay, if you could have coffee, cocktail, or tea with someone fun, <laughs> motivating, or inspiring, who would it be? So somebody that's no longer with us, I would say Mother Teresa. Okay. I would like to know what it's like to be that selfless. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and now I would definitely say, because I'm just not obsessed with famous people. Sure. Unless they do something for, you know, greater for the world. Now I would say Angelina Jolie. Okay. Uh, yeah, the world has like all these ideas about her, but I just love um, like her, her love for helping others. And I kind of want to know if it's really real. Yeah. What questions <laughs> you know? do you ask? You have to spend some time with her. Yeah. To, yeah. To you know, you have to, yeah. You have to know more about her. But all these things that she does, I just think are very cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah that's a fun answer. I don't think anybody's yeah. ever said that answer on this yeah. podcast. And I ask almost everybody. Um, <laughs> what's a nonprofit you like to support? Oh, um, so in the past I've worked with Girls on the Run, but I would love to maybe, um, for that, I would love to see more of that grown to maybe like children, uh, including all children and sure. maybe having like a voice, mm-hmm. you know, part two, uh, St. Jude's, mm. St. Jude Children's Hospital, like mm-hmm. is for me, I don't know. You cannot watch those commercials and be touched in yeah. like most of the time. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I, I love kids. And I think what they do for those families is definitely huge and very important because, uh, and that's part of it is because I've worked with children with special needs before mm-hmm. and they really touch you in such a special way. And, um, they really are, you know, special people. So. And then kind of know what those families go through. So I can't imagine having a child who mm-hmm. has a terminal illness and what it's like for those families. So I would say that organization is pretty, pretty important. 
And then also New England distance. Yeah, I was wondering if you were going to say that one. Yeah. And then in like five years or 10 years or however long, we'll, we'll get to hear about, we'll have you back on and we'll get to hear about your nonprofit. Oh, that would be so cool. Whatever it ends up being. Cool. Yeah, that would be really cool. Okay, what is your one message to send to the world? Oh, man, that's a hard one. Um, I would just like, I think, kindness and really getting to know people. I just feel like you don't know people until you know their stories. You can have a preconceived notion of everybody. Uh, but even I'm a true believer in the fact that when somebody says, oh, this person is awful or they think this way, I tend to think, oh, maybe they never had friends who have that background. Mm. Because I think if you have a friend in certain backgrounds, you really tend to change how you think about things. Yeah. Um, you know. So I definitely would say that. <laughs> That's so good. I was just yesterday or the day before listening to um, Jessica Honiger on a podcast called Going Scared. She was interviewing Jeremy Courtney. Um, he's the founder of Preemptive Love. Have you ever heard of that? And he was, his message, it was like so, it was like such an eye opener for me was that like you go into situations thinking you're right because this is like the mindset you go into it with because of how you were brought up. But like, mm -hmm. if you literally put yourself in the shoes of every single person that you're talking with, like their view is because of the way they were brought up. And, um, it's not that I haven't thought that before, but you know, you think about like good people and people that do bad and it's like, well, people that are doing things that are bad, sometimes it's like, where's that coming from? Like, why yeah. do they think, you know, and it's just, I'm not doing it justice how he explained it, but it, he had a really, really good way of, of, um, verbalizing that just like you might think that person is wrong, but you have no idea where their thought process came from. Yeah. And I think it's important, like, you know, whether that's a cultural background or just how people think or how people are, uh, it's funny because my, I've had several experiences where I just tend to be friends with people. I don't know. I tend to be friends with people sometimes, all kinds of people. And I feel like I learn a lot from them and what makes them who they are. And people sometimes will say, well, I always, you know, might not have said it, but I had a kid in my school that sent me a message after we graduated. And he's like, you know, even though I wasn't always like receptive to it, I always appreciated how you always said hi to me Aww. and you invited me to all these things I didn't never wanted to come to and I never would. But it still felt good to be, you know, included and feel like somebody cared. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's really important. And I think when people People know that you care, uh, it, like you said, regardless of their background, because there is a reason for how they are. Um, we could look at somebody like me and say, oftentimes when I share with people where I'm from and they only know my story from here, from the U.S., they're like, oh, wow. You know, one of the things I've said to one of my friends is I've never been to a laundromat. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, well, that, that's what it's like when you grow up rich. And I was like, what? Like, it's just not a thing culturally or like the community that I grew up in there was it's not a laundry mat you know <laughs> but that was his take on it and I'm like well I grew up in the third world country also so I know what it's like to be both sides mm -hmm. so you see people you know people just judge based on one thing we all do it we're all humans but I think right there's really something to be said for getting to know people at the end of the day people are just humans and everybody wants to love and everybody wants to be loved yeah Mm, that's a great way to end it. Thank you so much. <laughs>
Thank you for having me. Enjoy the kiddos. Oh my gosh, I have my babysitter <laughs> I have today. I to come and see you when I'm there. <laughs> yeah, come play with the kids. Come get your five-year-old boy fix and see if that's what you really want to <laughs> really yes. what, what you want to enter into. Yeah, that's awesome though. I'm so excited for you and all that you have. The future that um, is in front of you. It's it's really exciting, and I'm, I know that everybody listening now is going to be cheering for you at the trials if they weren't already doing that. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thanks, Abse, for coming on the show. I had so much fun getting to know you and can't wait to cheer you on at the trials and everything else that you're doing. Again, you guys can follow Abse on Instagram. She's O-B-B-I-R-R-U. You can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine 626 you can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Lindsay Hine and you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. If you're looking to register for the Donna Marathon that is this coming February, they have lots of race distance options. You can use the code Lindsay15 to get 15% off your order. And if you're checking out Lily Trotters, you can also use the code another over there to get 20% off some really cool compression socks. All right, friends, don't forget to check out the other podcasts in the Sandy Boy Network, the Up and Running podcast. Lauren Flores is doing an amazing job with that show. It's just getting better and better every single week. And the Illuminate podcast, which is my second show that I host, um, I rotate host. So there's four of us and I take a turn hosting once every four weeks. So check those shows out. I hope you all have a great Friday, a wonderful weekend, a Merry Christmas and Happy Holiday. And as always, I will see you next Friday.